Are you struggling to find the right professional talent for your project? Are you working with a limited budget? We are so excited about our next sponsor, Casting Networks. I have personally used Casting Networks to release a number of projects for free to the industry's largest network of professional performers for my commercial work and for my very first short film, Strange Thing. Creators can manage submissions, schedule auditions, request and review self-tapes, and book top talent for their projects all in one place all for free. On Casting Networks, you can create an account and send your casting call to thousands of professional talent. So join Casting Networks, the industry's preferred casting platform where more than 1.2 million performers have scheduled over 14 million auditions. That's a lot of auditions. Visit www.castingnetworks.com slash movies to create an account for free today. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, will be coming out on September 13th. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently in development on 17 more. I'm a distribution consultant who used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative, and I do sales. This week, we have writer-director Addison Hyman on the show to talk about the making of his first feature hypochondriac that is in theaters now and coming out on demand on August 4th. Addison talks about how he met his producers on, on his film festival run for one of his shorts, how he got hypochondriac together and like got this movie in production and ready to shoot before the pandemic and then waited to shoot once things opened back up. And then he uh, talks about how he got connected to XYZ as the distributor for the film and kind of what happened after he premiered at South by Southwest. After that, we read an iTunes review, which is amazing. We answer a listener question, even more amazing. And if there's time, Liz is even going to ask me a question. Oh my God, I'm most excited for that. But... Oh no. <laughs> Liz, how are you doing? I'm negative. I'm COVID negative. What? We all tested negative. Colin is back in daycare. Day two of daycare. Life is better. Because I'm a workaholic and my identity is tied to what I get done that day. And so it's been three weeks of feeling, you know, not productive. And so I feel just so much better. I'm going on a hike later on today. I'm producing pages. I'm knocking things off my to-do list. Things are good. Things are better than they were. How are you? (laughs) I'm very good. I had an interesting thing happen. I talked on the podcast about the desire to read more scripts. And then a listener said, hey, yeah, I heard what you said on the podcast. I have a script. Would you like to read it? And I was (gasps) like, sure. That's exactly what I'd like. And I uh, started to read it. And it's really fun. It was really, it's really, really cool. I read, I think, 10 pages of it in like, like right away as soon as I open the document, which usually doesn't happen. Usually I open the document, I read like one or two pages and I'm like, okay, I'll read this later. But like, if I, (laughs) if I get 10 pages in my first opening of the document, that means that it was good. And then (laughs) I was going to read more of it. I I thought I would be done with it by today, but then I'm collaborating. So I have many collaborations, Liz. I don't know if you know about this, if I've talked about this enough, but I'm working with lots of different writers on different things. And this guy that we've been working on this thing since like, I think February or March. 
And like he was going to have a full draft done by the end of April. And we were so excited. And then the whole thing with Lifelink happened and I completely stopped pushing him. He got really busy. I got really busy and it just completely fell apart. And Lifelink is the, which project is Lifelink? That's the one that I'm like waiting to hear back about the investors that like they got keep it. on saying they have all this money. And then, you know, it's like, oh, the the lead investor didn't show up to the meeting. Everyone else liked it, but the decision maker wasn't there. It's like, okay, just <laughs> let's just do it already. I mean, just tell me. I don't, I just don't, I don't like, it doesn't need to be made. Like, I don't need to direct this movie. I would love to, but it's like, okay, just, just, I want to know. I'm tired of not yeah. knowing. But I think I've also just accepted that I'm not going to know until it either happens or doesn't happen. That could be years. So I'm just going to whatever. Keep plugging away. <laughs> yeah. But this thing is cool because I emailed him on Monday right before we recorded. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, like I read what he'd sent me last, which I hadn't read. And then I was like, oh, here's what I think of what you sent me. He's like, oh, it's very different now. I'm still working on it. It's actually really great that you emailed me because I, like, I just felt renewed. So I'm going to write the first act and send it to you by Friday. And then he did. And so that completely derailed reading the script that I was sent by lovely listener of the show, Dominic Zipia, Zapia. The one who wrote us on Twitter. Yeah, he's we'll, like the VIP of this episode. We'll hear he'll we'll hear more from him later. But yeah, he was he found me on LinkedIn and yeah, we became friends on LinkedIn and then he sent me a script. Oh. But yeah, I was I was like all jazzed about this thing, but then I had this other stuff stuff to read, so I had to read the, those 40 pages instead and I just finished. I was have a meeting today with him to talk over the notes, but this other script is very cool. Like I'm really excited about this thing that my friend's writing. So, it's sort of like re- energized me in a way and it's kind of like at this point like you know between my writing which is not happening <laughs> like scripts I read and the script that's being written it's like whatever is the most exciting and that I can actually think I can make within a reasonable budget that's the thing I'm going to make next so we'll see which one wins yeah. it's like they're all fighting for my attention but uh, but it's fun because they're all it's all very interesting and good stuff but I'm just trying to find that thing that I can like latch onto like the alternate and just be like this is the project we're making and sadly it's not anything that I have I mean Lifelink is that of course but like you're talking about a multi-million dollar move it's like I can't I can't put the weight of trying to raise over a million dollars on my shoulders like by myself like it's just not right. something I want to do it has to, to be one of many the bigger projects have to be one of many I think. yeah so I have a lot of those I have a lot of these m- movies that are like million dollar plus stuff that's like you know even two, two that are written and then like actually three that are written pretty much but all by different writers and so it's like those are all there but it's like I need the thing that's like you know in the alternate realm that I can like conceivably actually raise the money to make and then like make that be the next thing I spend the next like two to five years on you know yeah unless one of these other bigger projects happen in the meantime so trying to find that thing and um, it's been so it's been an exciting week just like reading things that you like and being excited by them you know so that's been fun it sounds as if things have turned around for you like last week maybe you know I think <laughs> Lately, there have been, I wouldn't even say them that they were darker conversations, but maybe more anxiety was fueling our back and forth, but it feels like excitement is fueling this conversation. Yeah, I think like I had anxiety over other things in my life, like, you know, with my job and, you know, other other 
things going on and just like the everyday stresses of being a parent which is like the highest of the highs and sometimes the lowest of the lows like all in one day which is like it's really fun but it can be intense sometimes but yeah I think like I was just I've been feeling bad about not writing I think that's really been the thing is like I've just been feeling bad about not being the writer I wish I was but I think what I'm also realizing is that maybe that's not going to be my path for my next movie is not going to be written by Ulrich maybe it'll be like something that I collaborate with someone else on and I have no qualms about that so yeah I I feel like that I'm I'm excited by so yeah I don't know I guess I I don't know people are so weird our emotions are it's like the way that we are it's like when like nothing has literally nothing has changed in my life from when I was like more down to now but like now I'm feeling better but nothing has changed well it could be the weather it could be what you ate this morning yeah it could be what you watch I was thinking about what you're saying about writing and I had my session with Amy last week and I said to her, I was like, Amy, I just realized something. I've had a hard time producing pages and I normally write in the morning and our deadline is at night. Could I change our deadline to the morning? And she looked at me flabbergasted and she was like, yeah, of course you can. Like we create the rules. We got to do whatever we want. And I was just thinking about how sometimes you have to change your perspective to re-engage yourself in a project and to want to write and to set up the situation for you to like actually enjoy yourself. And it could be so minor. Yeah. It could be that you need to immerse yourself in other people's work for like a year before you really want to immerse yourself in your own. Or it could be like you need to clear a full day to think about yourself for for one, you know, for the whole day. Just about you. Right. Like, I thought it was so funny how... Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> no, none of us could really do that. But you could take a long bath like you've talked about in the past. But I guess like what I'm acknowledging in response to what you said, it's like, maybe it's so minor, the change that happened between last week and this week that you're not even noticing. It's imperceptible. But like, right. the right. entire tone, your entire tone has changed. You well, seem I think, enthusiastic. I think it's also, it's just like, you know, I think getting inspired by, by writing that you like, I think is really what it is. Is. Like when you're reading a story that compels you, you know, I think that helps in a big way. Yeah. And I actually, I read another, I read a short story probably two weeks ago that really did that too. But then it was like, <laughs> I had this really weird reaction to it where it's like, oh, this is so exciting. Like this would make such a great movie. But then I was like, oh my God, it's like another job. Like I have to take this short story no. and write a full script out of it. Like when am I going to do that? Like that's never going to happen. So I'm, I'm going to try to talk to that writer and see if like they're up for writing the feature length version of their own short story. But I don't know. Yeah, I kind of, I'm not sure how, if they're going to be interested. But it's exciting. Like It is exciting. I met with a choreographer yesterday for this short, this proof of concept short for the musical that I want to do. And just like having a conversation with her about what she does and her... Like, I didn't even know. She focuses on movement. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I started to think (laughs) about that. I was like, oh, well, I could use that. Like, that's someone who's an expert in how to use your body. That's blocking for like a nonverbal. Like, I kept thinking like, oh, my gosh, why have I never worked with a choreographer in blocking something out? And that Mm. was so exciting. And these are such minor, minor revelations that we're having. But they're thrilling. Right. Like you read a short story and it, it like it excited you. And I had a conversation with a choreographer and it was just like a half hour and it I it got me high. Right. So mm. I think both were I think we're both in a good creative stage. We may not know exactly what the project is that's going to hit for either of us. Right. But right. at least we're having fun all of a sudden. Yeah. You, I don't think you really know until 
you're in it or you decide to do it. Yeah. Right. You know, I feel like it's just that when you, when you're, you just make the decision, it's like, this is happening no matter what happens. I don't care what, what it takes. We're doing this, you know? And I think like, I want that feeling for a future. You know, I wanted to have that excitement. Like, yeah, this is it. We're doing this. Like I can, I want to be able to see it come together like creatively, but then also be able to see it come together like in the real world. Like, you know what I mean? Like where you like imagine locations and you're like, oh, I know somebody who has this that I could get access to. Oh, I know where we could go do this. Like, and you can start piecing it together where it's like, oh, you don't need anything else. Like you can just do it, you know? And I love, I love when that starts to happen. And the train uh, is moving on its own when you're no longer exactly. at the back of the train, putting your old weight on it, pushing it forward, like inch by inch, right. axle by axle. Yeah. You got the coal to throw into the, the <laughs> what do you call it? Or steam or. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do they use for trains these days? Do you still use coal or they use something else? I have no idea. We all know coal's bad, but I'm just saying that's what trains use. But metaphorical coal, I think, is okay. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, what isn't metaphorical that is also good is our Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. You can, you know, check out all the little bonus videos we have there, our weekly meetings. And most importantly, we want to wish a very happy birthday to our newest patron, Eric Deal. Thanks so much for supporting the show, Eric. Eric! Oh, wait. Eric's like like a buddy in a weird way. He's like my internet buddy. Is he an internet buddy for you? Oh, no. I didn't know Eric Deal until I saw his name pop up this morning. Eric! That's so awesome. Well, thank you. Oh. Do you, yeah, do you want to give a shout out to Eric Deal? Like, you know, is he just like a Twitter buddy? Like, how do you know yeah, this, this he's person? He's an internet buddy. And we just kind of like update each other on our projects. And he was a supporter of Witchy. Like, he actually donated oh. a little bit of money to make Witchy happen. And, and he actually just watched it the other day. And I got to get get his feedback. But anyway, he's he's a lovely human. And that's... I don't even know how I met him. That's now I'm embarrassed. But thank you for supporting the show, Eric. Well, Eric is a homie. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, Eric. Also, don't forget to check out Jambox.io. They're a new royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese. And they also do customized plans to fit your needs, which is great. So use our code MMIH to sign up for a 20% discount today. But without any more further delay, here is our chat with Addison Hyman. Can you give us the elevator pitch for Hypochondriac? Sure. Oh my God, I have so many different ones depending on like if people have seen it or not. But basically it is a gay horror movie based off my mental breakdown. Sounded blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so it's centered around a character. His name is Will. Cypher for me because it's based on a real breakdown, says at the very beginning. He's a young potter who has a pretty good life. You know, he's a boyfriend, you know, his his boss sucks, but whatever. But when he was 12 years old, his mother tried to kill him uh, during a moment of psychosis. She's bipolar. And so years later, while he's at his job, he gets his phone call from his mother. And that's immediately starts triggering all these symptoms that he can't explain. And then as he injures himself at work, he starts hallucinating a man in a wolf costume, basically his manifestation of his childhood trauma. So as he tries to solve the symptoms of his of his physical symptoms, he goes down a spiral of denial until he cracks. But yeah, so that's basically what hypochondriac is. A, a, a story about mental health, children, and emotional retelling of what it's like to crack. 
And then how many days did you shoot the film? 20 days. We had four weeks, which is great for an indie because Lord knows there were so many moving parts and I'm the idiot that wrote 11 locations. I think actually 15 or 16 locations, but we shot part of it in the studio. So like we were at a new location like every two or three days, including one time where our base camp was under the 101 freeway. And that was a nightmare. But everybody was, you know, the the cool thing about it is it's like, you know, it's it's a movie about my mental breakdown and we're all working. We're like, God, I'm, I'm about to say this and I'm so sorry. We were like a family. But, um, but, you know, like, everybody, you know, I don't know, like, I think you're going to ask this question later, but I can answer it now, whether or not making a movie about my mental breakdown was cathartic, but the answer is obviously yes. But, like, the moment of, yeah, <laughs> so the moment of basically, like, there's all these, like, little small moments that make me feel so grateful. It's, like, the third day after we've done three days and everybody's working hard for a movie, and I'm just, like, why? Why am I so great? And I just start, like, sobbing to my boyfriend. I'm, like, people like me and they care. And it's, like, of course they do. What are you talking about? About. or like there's a moment uh, spoilers and non-spoilers i can i can spoil oh, stuff working spoil, okay? spoil away oh, yeah, cool, cool. So, 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 the, so there's the, the, the scene of physical violence at the very end where he kills his mother uh quote unquote the third take we did he they did something different that totally freaked me out and i was like holy shit what am i doing why am i making this movie and i like what up and have a panic attack and then i come back downstairs and all the crew is looking at me with concern and they're like are you okay and i'm like yes thank you we all took a collective breath together and then we continued the scene work but so like getting to do that and getting to work with this crew that really cared and, and put their all into this because i don't ascribe to the up tour theory i don't think that we make movies in a vacuum because like you said like from the title of your podcast movie, it's hard to fucking make right so like i had the best i had the best people on my shoulders constantly telling me like what i should do and and giving me these decisions and supporting me and ultimately it was like one of the best experiences of my life and the worst experiences of my life and i can't wait to do it again well we have questions about that (laughs) what can you speak of with regard to the budget of the film i can say that it wasn't enough Sure. <laughs> yeah, I've been told by my producers that I'll be killed if I if I say the actual budget. But let's say we were not working for Marvel or even A twenty four or even yeah, you can gotta get you can gotta get get the gist of maybe what I'm trying to say. But I can't say specifics. Yeah, um, and we're we're not going to try to trick you into giving a number. Yeah, yeah. But know, if but if you could give a a range that's even more specific, like could you say it's under five hundred thousand? Would that be safe to say? Let's say it was under a. Millions. Okay. <laughs> okay. That gives us a, 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 light, a lot right? of leeway. Yeah. Well, here's, the, here's the thing, right? If I like say the actual budget and then I go to another company and be like, make this movie, they're like, oh, you made it for that? You'll just make that again. And I'm like, no, no, please give me more though, because honestly, like, I don't think I can do that again because we had a bunch of favors and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, but, yeah, we completely I understand. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But thank you for thank you for going along with me in the ride, and I <laughs> that much information. <laughs> So you talked about it a little bit already, but like, how did you come up with the idea? Like, was it, was it like, I mean, I know you said it's your mental breakdown, but like talk about the origin of actually writing about it into a story. Totally, totally. So the short version of the mental breakdown is I lost full functioning of my arms for six months after an injury at work. And after I visited Dr. Google, Dr. Google was telling me that I was dying of ALS. And my friend's brother had just died of ALS. Turns out there were stress symptoms, but I didn't acknowledge that at the time because I didn't know. Because did you know that anxiety can just transform and change on you for no fucking reason? I've experienced it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. It's like the fucking worst. So it's it's like 
So, yeah, so I didn't recognize it at the time. And my mom's bipolar, and she was leaving me a bunch of voicemails telling me not to trust my friends. So those voicemails that are in the movie are actual transcriptions of the voicemails that my mom left me. Mm-hmm. Wow. So basically, that happened. And kind of near the end-ish of the breakdown, I'm in physical therapy. And my, my physical therapist is like, Addison, you're a writer you should write. I think it'll help you. And I'm like, but I'm in too much pain. He's like, just try. Just uh, all you have to do is write for five minutes. And I was like, okay. So I had two pillows on my desk. I had two ice packs on my arms and my computer against the wall. And what you asked me about later, the dog poster looking, staring at me in the face. And so I wrote the first 15 pages of the very bad version of the first draft because ultimately it was like a vomit draft. It was like a therapy draft for me. It was just the actual retelling of what happened. And then once I learned that just because it happens doesn't mean it's interesting i decided to form you know a script that was more of an emotional retelling of the breakdown rather than like a scene for scene act for act reenactment although however a lot of it did happen but it's just like all the the parts mixed in and originally the man in the wolf costume the original plot of this of the draft or of this of the script was uh, my character's best friend had just suddenly dropped out in front of him on halloween so he was being being haunted by his friend but ultimately very very thankful to all my friends who told me that that sucked was basically just like you got you're trying to write about your mother and i have been probably trying about write about the relationship with my mother for like 10 years in various forms but it wasn't until i like finally broke through and i was like oh i finally see how because i literally almost became her so i was like okay what i really liked about the wolf was that it's kind of this idea of this combination it's not quite a dog it's not tamed it could be tamed kind of playing with the metaphor of mental health of like you know the ending of the movie it's like the wolf isn't necessarily a bad character i would argue that the movie is basically just man versus mind he's literally at war with his brain which is why i never am interested in telling people what actually happened because he we are with him always he's experiencing these things and it's the only thing that we see because it's the only thing that he sees so this wolf is just his childhood trauma trying to get his attention but the more he pushes away and tries to solve you know like hypochondriac i think it's kind of a bait and switch title because ultimately he's trying to solve these symptoms of his what he thinks is his illness but what he's not doing is dealing with the disease which is his hair and his Blah, 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 blah. See my brain. Do we blame the beer? I don't know. I'm gonna take a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, what he's trying to do is solve the symptoms instead of the disease of his underlying inherited trauma from his mother. So that's kind of how I formed the script. And what ultimately became the final draft when we decided to shoot and decided oh, the pandemic pushed us a year and a half when we shot after we were all vaccinated in June of 2021. Well, that floats into the next question, but maybe you could add some more color. So the entire timeline of the film Mm -hmm. from you coming up with this idea to from your physical therapist saying right to now, what is that duration? Three and a half years up until right now. So I started, I broke down in 2019, January to June was the bulk of it, but then still had to do some more physical therapy. And I wasn't really quite um, at my normal peak where I was able to do things until about August. But the the breakdown about six months, started writing it during then. And then I found my producers accidentally at this film festival called Kukaloris in Wilmington, North Carolina. And then we decided to make the movie, pulled together our financing, and then March 2020, everything everything shut down. But ultimately, that ended up being very fortuitous for us because it allowed both me as a first-time director, because I was only a writer-producer up until that point, because it was my mental breakdown. It was like, well, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I see it. I, I know what happened. So it allowed me to basically get as much, I don't know, like, study film school like kind of situation of learning how to be the director like i watched 400 horror movies in the pandemic so hmm. 
So like we spent all that time, got our cast a little early, like, and then so spent just a lot of time with them, put a lot of time in pre-production. So by the time we finally got to shooting in those 20 days, very little went wrong. And I'm very grateful for that, mainly because of my producers, John Humber and Baderas, who put out the fires without me knowing and just allowed me to be creative. And that's the thing about film is it's like producers are fucking, if they're good, like it is just nothing. It's like, it's like lighting design, right? It's like, you only notice it if it's bad, but if it's good, you're just like so invested in the story. It was like my producers, mm-hmm. they were like, I found out they were like, oh, we had to do this or this happened. And it was like days after. And I was like, thank you for not telling me because I was trying to tell a story about my mental break. <laughs> and honestly, like, it's all I can do right now. I can't, I can't like be like, we're being shut down or just like, there's this person trying to bug us or X, Y, Z, but from script inception to our release three and a half years. And then compared to all the other f- projects you've made, how difficult was this one? I mean, it was just like, up, you know, we up the scale times a thousand, right? But like, I think I couldn't have made this movie without everything that came beforehand. Like, you know, I stand on the shoulders of the people who built me up and allowed me to learn on set as a, because I, I went to school for theater. I didn't go to film school. So I wanted to be an actor and a playwright. And everybody told me that my plays sounded like screenplays, which is a huge insult in the theater community. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I wrote my first like web series back when, you know, web series were all the rage called Kappa Force, which was about a bunch of sorority crime fighters trying to destroy evil frat scum. And then I went there and then, then I was like, I'm going to move to LA and be famous. And then I moved to LA and people were like, you and every other person has a web series dipshit. And I was like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, okay, cool. And then started making shorts and then had my mental breakdown. That was pretty hard. So probably, you know, that was hard. And then, but like, obviously much harder, but also we had a much bigger team and I felt held the whole time. So like, it, it's a give and a take, but like, I, I vibe on intuition. I, I like, I'm a very intuitive person, both as a writer and a director. So just like, I kind of love to song and dance and I love to, I love to be on set and I love working with actors. So like, while it was hard, it was also fucking fun. So, you know, that, that kind of combination of just like those two things. So while it felt more difficult, it was also like I wave is just there's nothing like it, you know. Can we talk a little bit about you mentioned Kukaloris, you mentioned accidentally meeting your producers. Yeah. The people who listen, by the way, Ulrich and I are genre filmmakers who both made mm-hmm. features. Yeah. And then our audience are all like emerging filmmakers looking for advice from people like yes. you, right? Uh-huh. So can you tell us a little bit about those pivotal moments of meeting your producers, getting financing, getting XYZ, all of these partners, yeah, because yeah. I feel like it's not as accidental as you just said very quickly that it was. Uh, yeah, I know. Maybe not. I mean, listen, uh, and, and not everybody does this, but like I, I moved to LA thinking that I was going to be a TV writer. That was like my goal. I wanted to be in a room. I loved television. I grew up on television. Like that's how my father and I bonded. We watched the X-Files and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Star Trek Voyager together. Like that was like, that was like what I wanted to do. And I got there and I was like, oh, this is so much harder than I, I thought this was going to be to work machine because you have to put in your dues. And I and the people who I knew my age were already put in their dues moving. They were 22 and then they were TV writers. And I was like a 30 or like, a, a, like about to be 30. And I'm like, I don't know if I could be a writer's PA and then a writer's assistant here because and by the time I'm 40, that's when I'll be a TV writer. But I was like, I don't know what else to do. So I started doing indie stuff. And honestly, film festivals were, I owe everything to film festivals. It's hard because they're a little bit of a racket because there's a lot of pay to play and you're just making expensive business cards. But like also, 
I got to be a part of a freshman, like me and my buddy Colin Wes, who who made Linoleum, had our first features premiere. I don't know if it was first feature, but had our features at Fantasia in 2019 at the International Sci-Fi Block. And then three years later, I see the South by announcement and both of our first features are in, are in the lineup. And it was like, whoa, like that is, it's the community, right? It's those people who are speaking your names in rooms that you don't necessarily are a part of. But I try to do that as well. Like, you know, I probably will do that here and acknowledge all the other filmmakers that like I'm now friends with them. We've become even especially the XYZ films and their tier one or tier one, their year one of distribution. Like I've met them along in all these film festivals. And it's so cool to have this little like freshman class of people who are becoming a part of this world because yeah, I mean, it wasn't an accident. I was yelling about hypochondriac at every film festival I could get to. And hopefully not, you know, you know, there's a right way to network. And hopefully I wasn't the wrong way. I hope not. I mean, I got the movie made, so I hope it wasn't that, but you know, you go to film festivals, you yell about your movie, you're at the parties, you're drinking or you're not drinking depending. And you're just talking to people and you're, and you're shooting the shit and you're, you're opining about the industry, but you're also supporting each other. And those are the places in which there's no ego. I mean, there might be, but especially with short films, they're like, we're all here together trying to rise. And so when I see my journey and when I see the journey of the people around me coming up, it was through these discussions at film festivals. It was through having the work when asked at the right time and then, and, and then going through there. In terms of financing, I'm a bit privileged with me and my producers that we were able to pull it from private financing. And ultimately, that's really hard to do, especially as a first feature, because you're ultimately said to know a lot because people are like, nobody wants to take risks. So we, we, we kind of circumvented that idea because of that. But through everything else, like, you know, I had really good producers and I, I got to pull together like my DP worked on my short and my friend, like my my friend Lizzie, who's having trouble getting hired as an AD for a feature because she'd never been an AD for a feature. So we're like, let's give you this first opportunity. She's like, is that okay? I'm like, Lizzie, it's my first opportunity. Like, let's do this together. So we had a young crew, but we had a very hungry crew. And so we all kind of learned together and had our own little version of film school or whatever it was. Obviously, certain people knew more. Like my DP was very knowledgeable. My gaffer fucking saved the day. Like we had a killer production design team and everybody was was doing good at, and, 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 and killing it. And everybody kind of bonded to the point where we we're like, we're making something special. I don't want to be like, ah, you know, because we're like, oh, we're making something special. Like, I was just like, we are but i mean ultimately like (laughs) i made a movie about my mental health and every time i screen the movie somebody comes up to me and says that's a very accurate depiction of mental health i've never seen that before thank you so much for my movie and if only one person told that to me that's it i made a movie that was worth it you know and like with south by and with xyz you know it was also through connections it was dave lawson at rustic who is the producer for justin and aaron making you know made resolution and spring and something in the dirt who was like like use my name and then we send it over to nate and pip at xyz and that and nate was like because of uh, because of dave's recommendation and obviously we were in south by like they watch it within 24 hours and they're like we'll sell it or buy it what do you want and we're like whoa shit and then like now getting to be a part of this team and going into release with them as distributors and basically being on my team being like we want to continue making movies with you we want to grow your career ultimately it's like uh, over the accumulation of the last five years of me starting with a web series and me leaving theater to go here it's because of the people i met along the way that i'm anywhere near where i am it is literally the community of filmmakers and people that i've met that have spoken my name in places in which i wasn't so now i try to do that i mean i'm not even anywhere near as successful as like other people but like even then i'm just like let me mention all the movies that are incredible let me mention all these people that you need to know because that is ultimately the only way all of us can rise together rising tides raises all boats and that's the only way i believe to exist in this career that's so hard and so nebulous so you just said like 1000 things that we need to unpack (laughs) here and like talk about in more detail 
I'm just gonna hone in the most recent one. Yeah. You said when you sent it to Nate, he said, "Well, buy it or sell it. What do you want?" Yeah. And so, A, can you go into more detail exactly about what that means? And then which one did you choose? Oh, and yeah, why? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Nate was basically like like a Dave Lawson recommendation gets me a... It gets. A, I hope I can say these things. I think they're fine. Because these are just normal conversations that you have. I mean, people should know this. Like, like Nate's like a, a recommendation from Dave is an immediate watch for us. And everybody had watched and really responded to the film. And I met with the sales agents and they were like, we can sell it. And then we were talking about who we would potentially go to. And they're like, well, you should also meet with our distribution team, James Shapiro, who came from Draft House and then Neon. And then now is kind of building up XYZ's first year of distribution. And something the dirt kind of like put them in, 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 that, in that momentum. And now there's a bunch of amazing films like The Harbinger and The Summoned and Waseda and so many others that are like finally can be part of that. But like, so I met with their distribution team and they talked about, they said all these words that felt very genuine. And XYZ is a very genuine and company they really stick behind their filmmakers i mean gareth evans has made several movies with them like you know riley stearns like got to make duel like they're all like they're all very much about keeping up like within again family but like you know ultimately what is this what is this industry but you know la has no community it's a series of communities that you have to search for and so yeah so basically it was like what they were like do we want to be xyz do we want xyz to sell the movie and try to go through the sales agents try to sell the like you know neon or a24 or ifc midnight or any of those shuttered all, all that kind of stuff or do we want to trust them with their year one distribution and ultimately i think our went well enough and there was enough of like a camaraderie in us that we were like no this is the place we want to be and so that they made the offer we, we did all the all the stuff and then you know, got into business with them wow i want to talk a little bit about financing because i understand you went to private resources but i also know yeah. that private equity is going to have questions right they're going to ask yeah. like why mm-hmm. you why this money you know what right. is your so uh, did you go to them with a deck of projections did you was the yes. play yep. fostering a long-term career tell me tell me what the pitch was yeah so i mean it's a little i mean it's about my mental breakdown so i had a little bit of an easier time convincing them why me because it literally happened but also we had a pitch deck that was made by my producer and me and we put that all together we had a oh it's not a it's not a sizzle reel because we didn't film footage what's the thing where you where you steal ripomatic yeah so we had a (laughs) ripomatic but we had our actor who was cast rather early on record the dialogue so we had because we had Zach be attached kind of Early on after the other because we had enough money for the casting stuff and the producers and us to start and then we made the ripomatic and 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 showed shot all of that stuff and then there was unfortunately not anymore 2020 like a tax write-off for for investors that's now i think it's like a sunset rule or something along those lines where it doesn't exist anymore but where they can write it off early so there was a lot of things of like these are all the things this is how you could potentially make your money back this is where we're going to start and this is where this is where we're planning on going and unbelievably everything happened so it's kind of really i mean like every i mean we got into south by like we got distribution by one of my favorite companies whose movies that i watch and we're going to be in limited theatrical release for a movie with no stars no viable stars and like not to say they aren't talented and don't consistently work in television and stuff but i don't like i'm sure you guys have made features like the whole term of like viability and what sells and of course the international market is fucking terrifying and crazy because of the way that they exist and it's very difficult to sell in international markets especially for a queer latinx horror movie like it's like there's so there's all these different things in which you have to you, you have you have to piece together but you know 
as you know, like tier one streaming is where you make most of your money back. And so like, or like most are you're become like you start seeing overages or whatever. So it's like, you have all these like little pieces of like, and this is also me coming out of Fantasia now learning so much more about how films get made than I did mine now, because I'm trying to get my next film made. And obviously I need more money than like the, the things you can find in your shoe. Like you, like, you know, you actually, so it's like learning about how all this stuff works and how everything finances and you learn that it's so not personal in like a good way. It's like, Oh, I now know how to figure out how to, pitch to something that is like listen and you have to play the game right you have to you have to make sure that you can like you can you can say these certain things of like how how something will exist why why it will be successful but also trying to it's a business right but it's also an art so it's like it's like the film business so you want to be able to cater to yourself and be as honest and true but also the realistic thing is it's like movie needs to be watched by people and needs to be bought so it's very complicated and hard and i do realize i keep talking a lot as you like sit here and do things and i'm sure you have like so many follow-up questions so i'm just gonna take a large sip of water i'm drinking beer and water so i'm gonna do that well that's another question so follow up to that how did you find your private equity investors like were they people that you knew previously did you get introduced them friends and family it was friends and family so it wasn't okay it wasn't something we had to search very very hard for there were people that we already knew that that were there for us and so that was okay so i'm very lucky very privileged that's like something i want to be very upfront about because i i don't want to have this like weird like hidden agenda where i'm like no i came from nothing i'm like no i came <laughs> from something like I, I i didn't make this movie in a vacuum we had people that we could go to because because of that very reason well i wanted just to hear you know you got xyz you have south by you have fantasia mm-hmm. do you now or did you get representation at any point through the journey like how does the reputation representation figure into it yeah, yeah. So I got reps out of South by I'm with Echo Lake with my manager Keegan Shaw, who I absolutely fucking adore. He's in the sturdy and he's gay, so it's like perfect for me. We also we also text a lot, so it's like really good because it could be like, oh, this is like a very good relationship. But yeah, so representation is a little weird for me because a lot of my shorts, all of my shorts, one only one short really got a decent festival run, and the other ones played primarily in the pandemic. So, and that's when everything was shut down. So representation was hard to find. But after like a web series and three shorts, I was like, this is going to happen, right? But then it was like, everything was kind of done. So I was like, well, we have the feature. I'll start with the feature. We'll see what's happening. And then I was like, okay, cool. The deadline announcement announcing your cast is going to get inquiries for reps. No. And then the XYZ announcement is going to get inquiries from reps. Maybe one. And then finally, when South by, you know, happened, I started getting, and this is, I was told this from other people, but I was like, I'm a little frustrated and maybe a little like, I made a feature. Somebody's going to want me, right? It's just, I, I, <laughs> I need somebody on my team at this, at this point. And who were like, who had reps are like, yes, you just have to wait. And then like the week before South by, I got reached out to by a bunch of managers and stuff asking for links. And then I met with a lot of them at South by, and then I did a very smart thing, which I think is really good advice for people who are seeing representation to figure out how they would work is if they like you and they want you, you're like, cool, read my next thing and let's do a notes call and then talk with them and do the notes call and see how you guys work with each other. And if you like the way that you do notes call, that's probably going to be the way the person you want to work with, because ultimately what you're going to be doing is you're going to be developing with them until you send stuff out. So if they, and then, so when I did that, that a lot of people kind of drop off the face of the earth, which was expected, but I had some people who fucking charged at me and I was like, okay, cool. Now I know who, now I know who wants to work with me and I know who I want to work with. And then I, that through narrowing that down, I was able to choose somebody who I thought was probably, probably going to be my forever manager. So I wanted to go back to like the film festival run for the, for the short that did well in, in film festivals. So you're talking about like the community that you met and like going out to these film festivals and like kind of creating this connection yeah. with other filmmakers who are kind of on a similar trajectory to you. Yeah. 
can you just talk about like what that was like? Was that where you met your producers? Like what yeah. other stuff kind of came out of the film festival run uh, for your, was it your first short or like second short or? They were all kind of playing simultaneously because all of them were really VFX heavy. So I kind of made them one in November of 2017, one in January of 18 and one, of Trenu- one in January of 19. And they're kind of a trilogy of shorts, all kind of queer Black Mirror shorts. Very like very small one location type situations, but they were very VFX heavy and we had the same guy doing all the same VFX so we kind of had to wait so they all kind of like were abutted against each other and i was like this is a cool idea like let's 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 like see them one after the other but yeah so my web series played at the now defunct new york television festival which was like a place where like that was my first taste of meeting execs for the first time that's where i met like hbo execs and freeform execs and all, and all these kind of people and i was like oh cool i get to keep in contact with them but ultimately like you know again it's just like it's it's not everybody's responsive everybody's doing a bunch of different things but yeah my first short ava in the end which is when i wrote and produced and my my friend director ursula ellis directed premiered at fantasia and i was in the international sci-fi box there so that was kind of the beginning and both both kit and colin and i all have features now hers uh, premiered at slam dance and then ours premiered at, uh, at south by so it's like that was like the first time of like, like oh filmmakers that have kind of been there and i think kits that's their second feature but then you know we were around like we played you know like i think one of my my short in which i fuck a car also wrote and produced yeah it's anyway it's like a gay her not titane or titan everybody says different anyway uh, you know, we, we played at like the National Film Festival. I met a bunch of people there. We won the Grand Jury Prize. You know, I played at, you know, the, like a bunch of genre festivals, like Horrible Imaginings, Film Quest, which was a really good one, especially for younger filmmakers because in Provo, Utah, it's like a huge film festival, like filmmakers film festival in which, we're all, which, which people are there. And my friend Aaron Pagnano, like now also had a, had a feature as well. So like we, we were, I was slowly building this like kind of crew of people who were in the process of making shorts and making, turning into features. But it wasn't until Kukuloris in Wilmington, North Carolina that I found them. And uh, by that point in my film festival run, I had gotten pretty good at just walking up to people and holding up my hand and shaking it. Like I was like, cause at first, like my first film festival was like back against the wall being like, there are so many people. What am I even doing here? I'm so scared. And as a person who's like pretty gregarious, it's like really weird that I was so scared. But then once I realized that everybody's there for the same reason, it's like even this past weekend, uh, week at Fantasia, I was like, I got more emboldened and I was just like, we're constantly meeting people from different places. And then I would like talk about hypochondriac and if, if they hadn't seen it in their other places, I would like send them a link. And then I'm like, I'm not a script. Can I pitch you? And I'm like, and I was like, is that weird? They're like, no, it's like literally why I'm here. And I was like, Oh, cool. But we're just at the bar. So we're like, so that's what I was doing at Kukuloris. Like there's this place called Django's Tavern where they just ply you with liquor and it's all free and it's all run by the festival. So I was there every day after day. We all were just talking and talking and talking. And then I was just pitching hypochondriac to anybody who would listen. But the, the irony is the first day at the first Kukuloris party, I walked up to John and Bay and just introduced myself and then we just stuck together for the rest of the film festival and so i was like constantly talking about the script to when like at the end i was like john john can i send this to you for notes and he did and he sent me good notes and i was doing some rewrites and then like come december i was like i think i think i could pull together the fundings to make it and my friend like and i was like i don't know if i should direct this i'm not a director like i don't think i am and he's like yes you are what are you talking about you are and also who else would do this and i was like shit so i texted john that night i was like do you want to produce this and he was just like yes let's talk next week and then that's how we got together and it was just that relationship wow. meeting somebody at a film festival yeah i think we have to switch to the final six questions but Alric, do you have a is there anything you wanted to jump in with before yeah i just wanted to know like now that you have representation you've played south by southwest you've played yeah. fantasia with your your first feature you've done all these incredible things that all those filmmakers dream of 
Like, yeah. what has it been like working with your rep since then? Like, what kind of things have you been doing? And like, yeah. what has that resulted in, if anything, so far? Yeah, yeah. So I've been going on a lot of generals, which is what you end up doing. And because I'm trying to get my second feature made, that's usually what happens. And I'm really glad that I got it together. Because <laughs> that thing is like, that's another advice you have. If you've got a feature or you have a short, please have something next. Because if you don't, like, that's then that conversation ends. And like, there's nothing to follow up on or look forward to. That's always like, so I was like literally ripping my brain open, doing press and doing film festivals while also trying to get a draft of a feature together. So where we're at at the moment is I've just met with a couple. Yeah, so basically that's what I'm going on general. So I've been going on general, you know, all the big horror, like genre, like places, watch hypo. I, I, I go and do the thing and I talk about the script and they're all like, great, can't wait to read it. Send me bits ready. With with Keegan and with Nick, my two managers and my producers as well, we've been developing it. And so the final draft will be due at, right after my release because ultimately I thought there was going to be this one, but then the, like I got some really good notes and i'm like no it could be better so i'm like we're getting it to reddit so because you know that's the thing you have to make it as perfect as possible so because everybody wants to say no until they read something and they need to love it in order to say yes because it's not like read something you're like oh i like this no they need to love it so i'm like i need to love it so i'm, I'm going through that so now that i've done all these generals once this final draft is done then we're going to go out to everybody and and see where things land so that's currently in my trajectory what's happening and i've been offered a couple scripts but I, ultimately like while i like them it's like i i I am a writer first and then like and a director second. And I really because my next one is also as personal as hypo, also about mental health and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, this is the most important thing to me right now. And I really want to exhaust all options for this before I go out and branch out and direct other people's work, which I'm really excited to do. I just have like another thing that I really want to tell, you know. Nice. All right. Well, let's do a speed round of our final questions. Okay. What's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? I mean, that was Capriforce. And also, I, 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 it's funny because I, I came to film late. So, I mean, if you ask about my plays, that's a different story. Because I was a playwright, I'd be like, I don't ever, I don't see, like, I wrote a play called Killing Dragons, which is about like a dragon hunter and like a person that he picked up at a bar trying to escape a dragon slayer. And it was just, there was just nothing happening. It was just concept alone. So maybe I'll say that. So I feel pretty terrible and no one's going to read that. But my but my first web series, I actually feel pretty good about because I was like a little older and like and had really good people working on it. But yeah, that was yeah. But that play. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? What makes a good director is be nice and make decisions when you're asked to. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received or witnessed or whatever? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if this is filmmaking advice, but one producer told me to tone down. There was too, he told me there was too many queer characters in my movie. And I listened to him. And then I ultimately, yeah, didn't work with that person. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yes, I want to direct the X-Men franchise. Whoa! I want you to, too. Because <laughs> I'm a huge, huge X-Men fan. And we, yeah. need, a, we need a good director, especially some yeah. fresh blood in that, in that, that series. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I love, I love them. I mean, like, even if it's not just X, just give me like an episode of like make a make an Iceman series, so like it could be gay and any, anything. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> if you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself? No one hates you. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. That's like the sweetest advice ever. Oh man, is making movies hard? Is the last question. Of course, oh my God, it's fucking impossible. But I'm not gonna do anything else. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> You survived. You did it. You Amazing. got through the gauntlet of our interviews. Thank you very much. You did it. 
Do you want a call to action? Do you want to what? I mean, obviously, you want people to tune in for the film, but how can people best support you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like word of mouth is is the best thing. If you don't like it, just like don't just don't rate it on Letterboxd or IMDb. But if you do, it helps us. No, but like, listen, <laughs> it's it's your movie now, so you get to do whatever you want. It's your it's your prerogative. But if you could see it in theaters, I would really I would really recommend it. The sound design is incredible. Our sound designer Kyle did an amazing job, and we're in Alamo Draft Houses, which is notorious for having incredible sound design. So look up if you're if you're if you're in some of the major cities and the major markets. I highly recommend it. If not, rent it on on demand so we're in theaters july 29th and we will be on on demand august 4th and also if there are any international distribution people listening to this we haven't sold in other markets and i want that to happen <laughs> liz what do you remember from our conversation with addison i remember him being very intense i remember lots and lots of energy like so much just like i i feel like we didn't have enough time right like like he when we wanted very pragmatic answers, we didn't get them. But I didn't think that was a fault of the conversation or a problem. It was just there was so much he wanted to share. And he seemed to be really excited to be transparent and supportive of others. Like I remember his heart was very big. So I enjoyed that. What do you remember? Yeah, the energy is something you cannot forget. I feel like he, you know, he talked about meeting people at film festivals. And I feel like if I was at a film festival where he was there, like we would be definitely the people talking to each other because we're both like looking for you know the, someone to talk to you know at these things and i think sometimes like what he said about being a back against the wall and like you know not being sure like who to talk like i felt that so many times at film festivals you know and like it just yeah. takes that action of going up and like reaching out your hand and saying hello to somebody you know i don't necessarily do it right away but i eventually do it you know at every festival i go to so it was it was cool to hear that from him and then kind of hear about his uh you know his experiences and how how that's been such an important part of his his journey you know i also say that like you know he did like when we would ask a question he would give this really long answer and then at the very end like we would like re-clarify sometimes and then he would give us like the exact answer that we were looking for you know so he did get there he did get just there took him a little while sometimes but it, i know i love talking to people like this it's very exciting you know he's got like this this huge trajectory that his career is on you know like uh. premiered at south by southwest working with xyz film is getting a theatrical release like you know all the good things are happening to him he's got management he like got to you know be like courted by multiple managers like ah man sounds pretty great you know just to have oh it's ideal it's an ideal situation true Hollywood experience is what it sounds like. So I'm excited to see what he does next and see where his name pops up, you know? It was funny, he was he was talking about those two uh, close co-directors who did Spring and, and other movies. Like, I just saw them, they directed like a couple episodes of Moon Knight, or at least one episode of Moon Knight Ooh. for Disney. So it was like fun to see like these indie guys who like totally came up like in the similar realm, similar circles, ways that, you know, we are, or we are working, basically. And then to see them get to that level is like very encouraging that like indie indie folks are are making it happen so i hope addison you know hope we see more from him in the future we have a brand new itunes review to share this week and it is titled indie's time to shine they say this podcast recently landed on my radar and immediately drew my attention because both the questions and answers are no holds barred in the next decade as all content creation migrates to web 3 i predict these young ambitious indie filmmakers we are introduced to each week will be the on the front lines of change stay tuned 
And that's from Transmogrification from the U.S. Thanks, Transmogrification. That's a really, really kind review. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Transmogrification. I also want to add that I think this this person listened to our episode with... Rick Dugdale. <laughs> I was going to say Ricky Doug. And I was like, that's not his... <laughs> we, that's our nickname, our internal nickname for Rick Dugdale. Exactly. But yeah, and then I'm really excited for them to hear our, our upcoming... NFT episode that's coming out in a few weeks. So more Web3 conversations to be had. We also have a brand new spanking fresh off the presses topic suggestion and question from um, previously mentioned Dominic Zappia on Twitter. Dominic writes, Hi, I listened to your podcast and on the last episode, you talked about the benefits of a screenwriter director partnership. Oh, so funny. (laughs) Just a suggestion, but I'd love to hear you and all expand on what that partnership would look like in a future episode. Maybe you could have on a screenwriter director duo from within the independent filmmaking space. It would also be interesting to hear what directors expect in a cold email query from a screenwriter. Just an idea I had. Enjoy the show and I hope your family gets over COVID quickly. Very sweet. Very nice, Dominic. What do you think, Liz, about this? I have I have a lot to say. I was thinking about what do I look for? And what do I look for? And then how does that evolve into an ideal partnership? And I'm looking for writers who are not passive, who are active members in developing the film. And not saying that they have to attend every single development meeting or they have to spend hours and hours per week with me as I try to get a film off the ground. What I'm suggesting is if we need a treatment written because a production company wants to have a treatment, I need to be able to go to that person and say, could you write a treatment for us? And they say, yes, of course, get it for you in a week or two. When we're looking to change the title of the film and we need it more genre specific, I want them to weigh in on what they want the title to be because it came from their mind. It came from their heart. When we're looking to build a deck and we're looking for comp films to reference that are tonal, tonal comparables, I want them to weigh in. Like I want them to be a part of the process because they are the emotional... They're responsible for the emotional core of the film. I think the writer is. The writer is the originator of that. And I need to tap into that as a resource, as a director. My producers need to tap into that. The script is like the reason for the film existing in the first place. It in The writer's passion for the script and the process is what fuels me. So what I'm looking for in a partnership is a partner, is someone who's active. But, but I never want to ask for too much because they're already giving so much, right? They gave the Mm -hmm. script. That's vital. And they're giving their time. I just think that cutting the writer off the process happens very easily. And I think it's my assumption is that once you cut out the writer, you lose the soul of the film just a little bit. Unless, you know, there are exceptions, there are outliers to every rule. But I I think the writer should be a part of the development process. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with all that stuff. I'm curious, like in a cold email query from a screenwriter, what what is in that? Ideally, what's in that email for you? Like, what do you want to see when someone reaches out to you to tell you about their script? I want to see why they love it so much. And it could be just one sentence. Like, this is my top project. This is my first priority. Like, it's just something that expresses passion. And I want them to be explicit about what they want from me. Every now and then I get emails from people that are like, oh, would you read this? And I have no idea why they want me to read it because I produce, I direct, I write, I also do sales, I do distribution consulting. They could just ask, be asking me for feedback. They might just want a reader. Like, I have no idea. So 
I always want that query to say, like, I've written the script. I want you to direct it. I'm interested in you because of X. <laughs> like, I need them to explicitly say it. I'm interested in you because of Y to because of X. It's my top priority or my favorite project because of Z. And if you need anything else, let me know. Like, it could be super simple, I think. Yeah. I would say that, like, if you do want a director to direct your movie, if that's, like, the reason why you're sending it to them, I wouldn't be shy about that. Like, I would tell them because it would make me feel really good if someone (laughs) sent me a script and we're like, hey, we we want you to direct it. I would be honored. Even if I couldn't do it or I didn't, the script didn't, like, jive with me. Like, I'm more likely to, like, be more engaged with you if that's, if you tell me why you're, you're interested in me. If you don't know what you want or if you just want to read it or whatever, like, or whatever, that's fine too. But, like, that is the first question I always ask is, like, what are you looking for? Just because I, because what they're looking for needs to line up with, with what I'm looking for. And oftentimes what some people are looking for is a payday and it's like Mm -hmm. that's just not gonna happen you know (laughs) know? yeah like i I don't know many if any you know indie directors who are gonna like write a check to to read your script or like or be say oh yeah let me read it if i like it i'll pay for it it's like that's not gonna happen like this is not the way it works and if that's your expectation people aren't gonna read your 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 work that's just not gonna be the way it is like unless you're you know talking to production companies or producers who have budgets to spend but like again (laughs) the people who are able to do that are so so few so i would just be like don't expect a payday but maybe expect a partner or be looking for a partnership, you know? Yeah. I want to follow up with what you're saying is that it's not because the writer doesn't deserve the money. If we lived in an ideal world, we would be paying the writer for the access to utilize their film. Like, it's, I don't think it's out of de- lack of desire on our part. It's that the industry is broken. Directors aren't getting paid. Direct, you know, we want, we're basically operating at a, a deficit at all times <laughs> as independent creators. And so I think it's the expectation we're basically saying don't expect to be paid because no one is being paid like it's right. it is nothing is personal and it's not about it's not about the quality of the work and it's not about your lack of experience or whatever it is it's that we actually have to join forces to make the content together but i would encourage you as a writer whoever's listening to this and is a writer to protect yourself and to create an, a contract with the director or with the producer that says okay well if you don't have money now the first money that comes in i get x or if the film makes X, I get Y. Like, figure out a way to get compensated. Just don't expect it to be up front because it very rarely is. Yeah, like, we should all be getting paid, right? That'll be all written into the budget. But it's like, you know, like, I'm going to be working for free until we get the budget, you know? And then even, you know, like, we're going to put fees and whatever for everybody in the budget. But the first person's fee who's going to get cut is the director's, right? (laughs) So, like, you should just basically realize that when you're looking to collaborate with a director, like they're not going to get paid maybe ever you know maybe they'll get paid at the end when you get paid or like not the end but maybe they'll get paid when the when the deal is signed like when you're going to get paid but probably not maybe they'll get paid at the end probably not they're going to be the first people to like you know take that hit to get the the work done you know so just i think that's a little context so like you don't get all offended and you know because it isn't like this said it's not because we don't think you deserve it it's because it's just not how the, the the system works it's not how it works you know yeah but yeah anything else to say about this liz i have a few more things well just briefly i have i've had a few horror stories and they're not even horror stories but of like writers who have approached me 
and I made the presumption that they wanted me to direct it. And we had calls and we talked and then they would say things like, well, I want you, but my producer doesn't want you. Or like, oh, no, I just wanted to hear what you thought of the script. It's like, don't waste anyone's time. Really think of your as a writer, think of your project. You're also now the producer of that project. The minute you connect yourself with a director, you are producing the film now because you're connecting it with a teammate and be conscientious of the of the people you are approaching. Approach specifically. Don't don't go out wide. Approach the people that you want to work with because everyone's time is precious. I just I'm I can't get over the fact that like I found this script, I loved it. The writer was like, "I want to work with you, but my producer doesn't think you're big enough." And it's like, "Why then why did we have this meeting? Why did we talk? Why, why did we even why did you get my hopes built up?" Right. It hurts our feelings. It does. It, and it, and it wastes our time, you know, we could have been working on another project or whatever. That's why like that's part of my process is just being super clear with every person I talk to, even before I read the script, just like, I want to direct this. I am reading this because I want to direct it and yeah. I want it to be my next movie. Like, is that going to work for you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if it isn't, then it's like, fine. Or if like, oh yeah, sure. But you got to pay me an option. It's like, no, no, can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> like, I'm not even going bo- to waste my time reading it if that's what your answer is, because the, the chances of me liking it are like probably pretty small no matter what, <laughs> you know? But like, it's like, I don't, it's not worth it. Right. If you know you have to pay them something to even start the long, long process of trying to make this movie. It's just not practical and just not something... I don't think it's a responsible move of a director. And I've seen director friends do this, where they hire writers to write things for them, and they blow like 10K, and then the movie never gets made. And then in some cases, they don't even own the damn thing. The writer owns it. And it's just like, why did you... Why is this a thing? This is so insane. Like, because that's what writers will do sometimes. They'll be like, okay, well, you know, my fee is this, but if you pay me this, I'll do it. But then I have to... Then I'm the owner of it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. as a director, never do that. It's just a bad deal for you as a director it's a great deal for the writer but like it just it's not worth it you know as a creator anyways I'm stepping off my soapbox but you know I think I think this answered the question pretty pretty clearly like it's just like the partnership thing I think is huge and like I was gonna say like on my last two projects I had my writers do all the copy for my pitch decks so I would be like here's the deck here's the pages we're gonna have I outline what I want the pages to be and I'm like fill it in like write the copy for these and then I'll I'll do all the art. I'll put it all together. I'll do all that. But if you just deliver me the copy, that's the way that we partner. And I think that works really well because it's like yeah. it lets them do their thing. And then they feel like, oh, I'm bringing something to the table because I put the whole thing together. And it's like it's a mutual beneficial process to go through. You each get a voice too, right? It's yeah, not, totally. Yeah. I thought of one more thing. If the, I'm oh, so sure. sorry. <laughs> I have talked about this on the show. It is like my mantra when I talk to filmmakers, but like in development, everyone is going to pee on your project. They want to pee on it. That even if the script is perfect, someone's going to come out of the blue and they're going to say, I got money, but I have this one note. And you're going to have to make the decision about whether you're going to take those notes or not. And so being a writer who is open to revising the script, even if you think it's perfect, within reason, making changes within reason, I think is really, really important. 
It's crucial. It's cr- yeah, and if and and having and being able to negotiate how much to protect the core of the script, and then what things you are willing to com- you know compromise on. That's an art, and that's something that would be best discussed at the very top of a collaboration, right? Even in that yeah. intro email, like, and I'm open to making you know small changes or something could be said in yeah. that email. That's that's a good point because like there are people who like feel like it's perfect and doesn't need to be changed, but like yeah, they they, all, they also have to realize that that's not the, how this goes. Like the director is going to have opinions; they're they're yeah. going to want to see changes, and then you know investors, producers, production companies, they're all going to have notes. Everyone has notes. Everybody has notes, and you're going to have to take them or at least pretend to take them or try to take them right it's like you there's there's all these levels of like you have to do in order for them to think that you actually give a shit like you have to give a shit about what people ask you to do even if it doesn't work and you have to like treat it all with respect even if it's the worst idea in the world yeah so it's this whole game and yeah you got to be ready to play it that's that's a really good point Liz. i have a question for you oh we're gonna do it (laughs) let's do it so yesterday we interviewed my favorite, my new favorite people, the Adams Family, the filmmakers behind Deeper You Dig and and Hellbender. And I thought that they lived a pretty ideal lifestyle. And people who will listen to the show, they'll see that these are filmmakers who either live in an RV or in the Catskills, and they just make movies however they want outside of the system, really intuitively and as a family of equals. And it got me thinking, what is an ideal? filmmaking setup for you, Alric? How would you, what is the best way to live your life as a filmmaker? Well, I think for me, it's probably not that, really. (laughs) I, I I don't necessarily want to like have to do every single job on my movie or have to, you know, share that much creativity with, with someone else on every project. Like I want you know, like some, some I will definitely collaborate and work, be a co-director on a project or whatever. That's totally, totally fine. But that's definitely not what I want to do for every project. I think an ideal scenario for me is where I don't have bills to pay, where that's it's just taken care of, where all I get to do all day long is work on my filmmaking. And ideally would have some sort of source of money that was available to me where I could produce my own work independently and not have to worry about finding investment elsewhere. And I'm not talking about like millions and millions of dollars, but if I could make movies between half a million and a million dollars sustainably from my own funds, then that would be ideal, you know, where I could just do this and, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford to make a $10 million movie or whatever, but like I can make reasonable size movies or like, oh, I like it. Maybe I say, oh, I have a million dollars. Like I could be the first person in on a two to $3 million movie and then we can find the rest of the money, you know, like that would be like the ideal situation for me where I could just be with my family, work from home, create, and then like every year go off and make a movie for 30 days to 40 days and then come back and edit it and work from home and, you know, work out in the morning, have my home gym, you know, rewriting and, you know, hang out with my daughter and, you know, just, just focus all my energy on the creativity. I think that would be my ideal filmmaking world. But what about you, Liz? No, I like that. I'm just picturing it. I think there's something really dreamy about what the Adams Family does. I I like, you know, because Sean's went... I met Sean, my husband, at film school. He's an actor. He's in every one of my films. We do butt heads sometimes. Like, we've tried to co-direct before and it didn't really work out. But I think there's a world where if we set it up the way the Adams Family does, which is they 
shoot all ideas. They take all ideas. They follow their intuition and they have no time restrictions, right? Like they took a year to make Hellbender. There's, there may be a world where that could happen. There's another family I know, the Jones family, and they have two kids and their kids act and hold the boom pole and are the onset mixer. Like they do everything together. And I think I am more excited about the idea of working with my son as part of the family filmmaking unit. <laughs> like that's what I think is so dreamy, right? It's like, what if I could bring Colin in and we can make a movie together? Like that's yeah. what's so I think that's like this ideal lifestyle. I really like my day job. I really like working in filmmaker support and sales. I don't always know what I'm doing, but I'm learning and I'm be- I'm being challenged and I I'm I like being supportive of filmmakers. So I actually don't want to do filmmaking full time. I want to stay in artist support and filmmaking. I like the idea of scaling up a little bit. Like, I don't want to make Marvel movies. I don't want to make big tentpole films, but I love to be able to be in demand and hired on films in addition to making films for myself like i want to be wanted i think and that's part of the ideal lifestyle i I think that's the biggest disconnect between me and the adams family is that like they don't want to be hired to make Mm. movies they don't want to be part of the system and have a job but like man if someone wanted to hire me to direct a movie and like you know i didn't write it or anything and i just like got it was director for hire i'd love that that'd be great i think that would be such an amazing experience and such a great way to like you know grow as a director and to like learn how to work in a completely different environment and like come into something in a completely different way so like i'm totally with you on that too just like i i don't i don't need to be the originator of all my films like i'm you know if something's really awesome and i can see a, i have a vision for it and i i, I think this movie would be great like i would love to be a part of it you know and i'd love to collaborate with with the team you know so that was a big part that i just didn't yeah. understand <laughs> like why wouldn't you want to be hired to do like you're doing you get to do what you love and you get to make money but it's like i guess they don't really care about that you know and it's like all right well yeah fair enough yeah. i think there's a world where because i'm attracted to both lifestyles right so it's like i think there's a world where like i'm gonna make my indie collective horror film next year but i'm attached to these other projects and in an ideal world i get external financing for a project i'm attached to that i didn't write and i get to make the micro budget features that i write you know what i mean it's one for it's it's not even one for them one for you they're like both for you they're one for you and the other one's for you but wouldn't it be nice to go back and forth in terms of having full ownership and then collaborating with them with a bunch of owners that that seems really nice well well, one thing i want to say so it sounds like you're pretty much living your ideal life now like you 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 pretty much have everything that you want you're doing your artist job you know if feature three gets off the board if if i get to make another movie then i'm living my ideal (laughs) this is the other i think this is why i'm in such a good mood lately is because i realized that we i will make another movie you will make another movie it's it's not like an if or whatever it's just a when like there's basically there's nothing that can stop us from doing the what we want to do it's just like the only thing that we can't control is like at what level we get to do it at but like we've already done it at a certain level and we could just do that again and again and again it just might take us longer or a certain amount of time each time to do it but it's like I just realized I had this epiphany, like, I guess reading this script was like, there's nothing stopping me from being the filmmaker I want to be. It's just finding the right movie to make. And it's like, and who cares how long it takes? Like, if it takes 10 years to find the right one to make, then it'll take 10 years. But I'm just, I'm not going to stop doing it at any point, you know? And it's like, 
if, as long as you keep that alive and you keep doing that, you'll always have the opportunity to get hired to direct anything. Like, I mean, and, and it's so stupid, but it's true. Like, <laughs> the difference between us and a director who gets hired to make a Marvel movie is one indie hit. That's all it is. <laughs> it's That's true. All it is. Isn't that amazing? It, it it's crazy. It's insane. And it, and it doesn't even have to be a big budget movie. It could be anything from like 500,000 to a million have one star in it. Not even, doesn't have to have a star in it necessarily, but it just has to be a huge indie hit. And then all the doors open. So yeah. it's like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And like, eventually one day, if it's meant to be, the doors will open for us. And if not, we get to have a wonderful life making the movies that we want to make. So that's why I'm in such a good mood. I think I just had that re- realization recently, you know. I think that's like the perfect way to end the show. So anyone who's listening, you could always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, like transmogrification, did I say that right? Hopefully. I think so, yeah. You can leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Check out the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer. You can publish your logline to a network of industry professionals. There's consultation courses, contests, a top 25 writers list. Head on over to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Addison Heyman for coming on the show. Thanks to Katrina and Tatum from Katrina One PR for setting this up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymoot for doing the editing. Thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. Uh, we have... That's my cue to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>